episode 24, Grades Don't Show the Details. Elite educators, no matter your experience level in the classroom, there is always room to grow and perfect your craft. Gretchen of Always a Lesson provides individualized in-person and or virtual coaching to not only identify areas of growth, but to give you ongoing tools and support to maximize your potential. If you are an educator you know is in need of a boost in teaching technique application, data collection and analysis, leadership development, development of rigorous classroom content, or any other aspect of professional development, contact Gretchen so you can get empowered. Visit www.alwaysalesson.com and click on the consulting tab. Or shoot her an email at Gretchen at alwaysalesson.com for more information. Your first 20-minute consultation is free, so you have nothing to lose by reaching out to an experienced teacher coach like Gretchen. Make the decision to be your best, and you won't regret the benefits you see in your students. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educator's podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hi, elite educators. This is Gretchen from Always a Lesson. Whether you're teaching a lesson or learning one yourself, this podcast is for you. I am here to empower you to reach your potential. And in fact, you know I call you elite because only an elite educator would take time to invest in themselves by listening to a podcast like this to help hone their craft. Today, I want to help you reignite your passion and potential by talking about using our teacher powers to see through the numbers and sift through the details to better understand our students so we can provide the instruction they need to be successful. Hang on, this is going to be one empowering ride. I was recently on a Twitter chat called NT Chat for New Teacher Chat. And what's so great about this is we were recently talking about report cards. You know, what is the purpose of a report card? And we decided, you know, students and parents needed a recap to see the progress. Well, it really got me thinking about nowadays if that's even a necessary process. And I'm going to walk you through today and share all my ideas and what I'd like to do differently so that it truly is useful data. I mean, I remember the surprise of opening up a report card as a child. Why was it a surprise? Shouldn't I have known what was coming? I mean, teachers were giving me back my assignment, so I had to know somewhere where I was falling, but I never tracked those grades, and so I never really knew where I stood, and I remembered I would open the envelope and peek inside. I wouldn't even pull out the report card because I was so nervous to see what was on there. Why should I have been so shocked? I mean, really, how and why is that even good practice? Well, it's not. Are grades really even helpful? I mean, when I would see, oh, I got an A in reading, 
And then I'd put it away and move on with my life. Like there, that didn't add any value to my life as a student or to my journey to become a better student. So it's not, it wasn't a helpful process. For example, like marking right versus wrong math problems doesn't do any justice. The child just sees they got number three right, but number four was wrong. You have not added any value to their learning experience. They don't know what they need to do different. They don't need to know how much of the problem is inaccurate, where they went wrong. In terms of their thinking process, were they on the right track? Did they use the right strategy? And so a grade really doesn't give anyone the feedback they need. I'd almost just prefer not to give a grade and and just keep passing back assignments to students until it is its greatest product, which you know, could be a forever process, but we're lifelong learners. I mean, I am so tired of hearing kids say, I want to get a hundred or I want an A. Like, what does that mean? Don't you just want to learn how to do something well and everything you put your name on to be a quality product? I mean, just putting a grade on top of an essay. Oh, you got a C plus on this essay. Well, now the kid's just going to repeat everything that they did on that essay on the next one, unless you put some comments on the paper. And I know teachers that give a grade with no comments, and I know teachers that give a grade with comments. But if the child just files that away, sure, it could be in their memory, and maybe they apply the feedback the next time. But right there in that moment, you have power to change habits. You need to allow your students to go back and fix what wasn't done correctly so that they create muscle memory of doing something correctly. That means next time they will transfer that knowledge to the next assignment. You're increasing the odds that the student is going to be stronger and more knowledgeable in that one area. And in fact, I probably wouldn't even tell them which problems were wrong. I would say I'm seeing three strategies here that are missing a step. I want you to go back and rework those. Or if it was an essay, I might say a strong start the ending needs to match that same power, shoot me some ideas. And I don't want to guide, especially in in reading and writing, I don't want to guide too much because I want you to be your authentic self. But at least I pinpointed the area that I really want you to rework. So the student's not sitting there thinking they can never write an essay, the whole thing stinks. It's, no, this is one piece that I think needs to be fixed. So now my my grade is really feedback, which, you know, I talk a lot about because I think it's so helpful to be able to know exactly what I need to do better. Comments on report cards is another area that I feel was intended with a great purpose to provide more insight in, into the grades. However, I know for me, we gave one comment on behavior and then one area of academic. So I would say I picked three options for behavior. They're either complying, somewhat complying, or never complying to school rules. It was just a formal comment. You could pick comment number 47 or 48 or 49, and that was it. And then in terms of the academics, I would pick the lowest grade subject and look through the options and decide which one seemed to really apply to that student. And I'm like, this is really not helpful. Why is this the first time I'm telling you that your child behavior academics isn't where it's supposed to be and it and it was never the first time but I just really started thinking in this new teacher chat about report cards like really why if I knew for me we had weekly folders so every week I was sending home assignments with feedback and there was even a form on the inside of the folder 
uh, where parents could write back and forth to me. That way uh, we could see a running record of the conversation about academics. It was great for conferences. If you haven't done that, you should do it. But that way I didn't have like handwritten notes and we, my students have agendas. So that's where a lot of the note taking took place. This is like one space that I knew was dedicated to that. And that was really helpful. So I think I had been doing some ways to step up the feedback and really not allow a progress report or a report card to be the first time anyone's knowing how things are going. But man, this chat really made me start thinking like, why are we doing it at all? If I'm communicating on a weekly basis, that to me is more helpful than the report card. And I know how long it takes to do report cards. And if they're not helpful, why are we doing them? Like, just because we always have? I mean, we've got to get out of the mentality of just doing things out of tradition when they're not effective. I know our K2 teachers had to do standards-based report cards, and oh my god, I am not joking when I say it took, I mean, a good two hours for one report card to really thoroughly write out what they had done for that standard, how well, what they need to do differently. It was a super helpful document because it was so thorough, but you went from a report card that has five subjects and five grades on it to this like three-page research paper on how the child is doing. And like, hello, overnight, we have not set up any system to gradually get there. I mean, parents were so flummoxed when they saw that. Like, what does this even mean? There was so much educational jargon in that standard-based report card. So many parents called the school like, I don't even understand what this is telling me. Just what is their grade? And that's so frustrating to me because now you're doing all this extra work and hopes it helps the parent, but now they're more confused. And at the end of the day, they are so used to seeing grades. That's really all they want to know. So my idea is let's give everyone the normal grade and say there is an opportunity for you to learn more details. Please submit this request to your teacher. And then that's when they do the standard space report card. That, so a parent who truly cares to have something that thorough and is invested would really actually use that information. That saves the teacher's time. You're prioritizing the feedback for that particular parent and student. So I think there are some great things in what we're doing with report cards. I just don't think we've found what makes sense and what's going to be the most powerful in helping a student. If the students just say, here, mom, here's a three-page sheet on my uh, academics, the parent's like, okay, throws it away. Student never looked at it, so they're not changing any of their behaviors, and they're the only one that can control what's on the paper. So, for example, what I would like to do differently is on that essay, I would write something like, which part that I liked or didn't like about it, and not I shouldn't really say the word like, but what was effective about it in terms of what the child wanted to achieve in that essay? What did they do well? What did they not do so well? But then hands off. It, it's almost like saying, as a student or a child's riding a bicycle, like keep your handlebars steady. And now they know this is one area that they need to work on, but I'm not sitting there next to them telling them how to keep them steady. You want them to still be creative and to be able to critically think. Because if I just say, hey, this sentence in the essay is really unclear, go fix it, then they aren't even investing any time in the essay being very clear. It's just fixing that one sentence. So I want to make sure that we give them help and guidance without telling them all the time exactly how to solve their own problem. 
I'm really all about developing independence in students and increasing their capabilities. So if I do too much, I it's hindering them. Same thing with that math example we were talking about. We're just telling them which problem is wrong. Like maybe you could put a star next to the part of the process where they started to go wrong and say, your, your first half of breaking the numbers apart is an excellent strategy, but be sure to include every digit in your computation or something so the student knows, like, oh, I left something out. You know, and you could just do it as a prompting question. Do I have all the information I should have in this problem? And then the student's like, oh, I must have forgotten something. Uh, but I don't want them to think, oh, I did the whole thing wrong or I'm never learning thing because that's where they get frustrated that they're, they think that they understand a concept and then they see their grade and they're like, I don't understand it at all. And it's not true. It's you get the concept, but it's how you apply the concept right now that we need to work some things out. You're partially there. You're on your way. But besides any of these examples, I just think teachers need to be able to show how a student can do something better instead of just plopping a grade. And if you look at data and you can see it on all your students' test scores, they're just numbers. Like, what does this even mean? Like, oh, great, these 97% proficiency. What did, what did he do well? What did he not do well? And I love the breakdown it gives you. And, and some programs even allow you to see each question that they were getting wrong. And you can look for patterns. Well, all these students kept choosing C. I must have to do a mini lesson to figure out what, what was so tricky about that or, or why would they choose this? What misconception did they have? But really more importantly, I want to see to the kids' thought process, and that comes to the work, not through these testing environments, to be able to see their thinking, whether it's written in math or written in English, but being able to see where they were going, why they were thinking that way, so that I can help you get back on track. And as I see trends in my students, that's going to help guide my mini lessons so I can talk about patterns I'm noticing in students' choices in their academics. Or maybe there's a knowledge gap. I thought I presented an idea and I must not have been as thorough. I didn't check for understanding. Uh, I haven't given students enough of an opportunity to work through it, what have you. But I think that in order for me to do my job well, I have to know what you got going on, and it, it needs to be on paper or through a conversation. I can't just read your mind and, and say, oh, you put 47 as your answer. I know exactly what you did wrong. It's like, no, you got to walk me through your thought process so I can then guide you, not tell you what to do, but guide you. And for me, I think collaboration is a big piece of the puzzle. So the old me, I would just tell or I would model or really just show the students exactly what to do, you know, lead the conversation. But really more powerfully, you need to pair students. Ask those probing questions, use mentor text, give a rubric, have students assign a grade, and then back it up with evidence. I think them grading their own paper with a rubric is so telling. They can find exactly where they need to bump it up, and it's that self-reflection before turning it in. It's like, oh, I see that I really didn't score well here and um, when I was making my citations. I'm going to, before I turn this in, go work on that. So it gives them another opportunity to really step up their game and go back to the drawing board. Informal grades, in addition to collaboration, is really where the meat and potatoes of this feedback comes from. 
I'm always collecting notes on students' behaviors and strategies, and then that helps me set up my mini lessons and know who to, who needs to sign up for that specific session, and then I can chart their progress. And I always go back to my chart where it has the student's name, the day I met with them, what the topic was, what our next steps were, leaving that conversation so when I see him again, Johnny, I saw that last Monday we met and we were talking about creating a stronger theme throughout all of our essays. And I'm noticing that you have already drafted three new stories this week. Can you tell me how you have been working on theme to tie these stories together? And it's a great reference point for me to guide the conversation, but it also really helps me see his growth. And as I look at the chart throughout the month, I'm like, man, his strength in this one area we've been working on is off the charts. And I had to choose new topics each week to discuss with them because he was not only meeting my expectations, but exceeding them that we didn't have to work on the same technique week in, week out. That is really showing some amazing growth. And I can say, hey, on September 17th, this is where we really honed in on this area. And now it's in April and you've mastered 14 other things from that time frame. That is pretty amazing. And for me, all those informal notes that I'm taking is so much more helpful to me than a formal grade. I mean, the formal grade is really silent solo. It's how well do they swim without floaties. So for me, it's almost like, okay, I know we've been working on this. Let me see what they can do on their own. And it's not, oh, they got an 87, they're good to go. It's how strong was that 87? Do I see the same thing going wrong that we've been working on? Or is that going really well now? Is my support adequately meeting the demand? And is there a new area of focus for us? So it's not just, yes, I all my students got above a 90 on this test. It's like, no, let me go into each individual student's test and find out where their growth is, how they have been showcasing the many lessons I've been providing. So for me, it, it's really a lens into... Let's see what you can do on your your own. Let's apply all your knowledge. And this lets me know I can release some of that responsibility. I don't have to pull you aside as much and just guide your, your journey as a learner. So here's my ideas for new grades. Going back to that essay example, instead of a B plus, knowing Johnny left out an introduction to lay the foundation of the rest of the story, I could just prompt him with a question and then require a revision. So it might look like this. Johnny, your main character makes a rare choice that changes the direction of the story. How can you make that choice more of a surprise to the reader? So he's thinking to himself, okay, I need to add details about this character. So this character seems opposite of the choice I know he's going to end up making in the story. That's how you do the surprise, because the the reader's thinking they really know this character, they can make choices for them, and then he makes a choice that's out of his own character, and it's like, whoa, what just happened? And that's really engaging as a reader. So now I've told him the area he needs to work on, but I've done it through a question, and I know he's going to go revise it. So instead of just putting 97, here's your next assignment, it's rework it. And then when you send it in, it's going to be so much better. But guess what? Rework it. Like we're always on going. I always had in writing a rough draft folder 
and a final draft and we stopped calling it final because there was always tweaks so it was the ongoing best work sample folder and when students finished something or submitted uh, something for me to look at and I knew that they were waiting before their next step they weren't really having anything to work on in that moment they knew they had to go back into that folder that was once called final drafts and start re-editing some of their old stuff and they loved it because there was stuff in there from the beginning of the year and as they're growing they look back and like I can't believe I wrote this like this is actually not so great not so funny uh, I don't even like this ending anymore and they find so much joy in critiquing their own thoughts and watching their own growth. So I suggest you try that too. For that math example that I keep bringing up, instead of just marking a certain problem wrong, let's say it was like 42 plus, I don't know, 16, I could write something like, how could a number line help keep track of the values that you're combining? So then a student's like, oh, I must have missed some numbers. I better show all of my steps in a clear way. I could have easily said that show all your steps in a clear way, but I did it through a prompting question that allowed them to really think through what could have happened here. That's that critical thinking piece. I don't want to do too much for you. I want you to be able to see the problem and start problem solving with a little bit of my guidance. And those who are in the beginning, it's going to require a lot more prompting from you and, and maybe even a follow-up conversation just to make sure they're steered in the right direction. But I truly believe that you don't want to do too much. So students are going to graduate from my help, or maybe the question becomes more general over time, just to make sure that they are truly doing the work and doing the thinking. In terms of report card comments, something like Johnny sometimes follows school rules and needs to read daily should turn into something so much more personal. And I know it's hard when we're using a computer-based report card system because you can only choose from certain options but it would be so much helpful if you wrote something like Johnny writes with the end in mind but could benefit from adding details in the beginning to make the story a journey for the reader and now the parent and Johnny knows exactly what their focus is going to be for that next quarter or even in math like Johnny computes quickly without a paper trail of thought so showing work step by step will ensure accuracy and help him internalize problem-solving strategies. So not only did I tell you you need to show your work, but I told you why. You're computing so quickly without jotting down your steps that you're making careless errors. And I could have said that, but the way that I'm phrasing it really allows them to see the purpose behind what they need to be doing. And then with those formative scores, you know, Johnny got an 84 in reading and a 53 in math. Uh, and, you know, instead of saying like, Oh, Johnny's failing math. No, he's not. Johnny, on numerous occasions, misses his steps when he's solving problems because he doesn't record his thoughts when he's solving those problems. So instead of panicking, just problem solve. I need to get Johnny to put his mind to paper. What strategy can I help him use that matches his style of learning? So now instead of saying, oh, 53, he stinks at math. No, I know the problem because I watch Johnny on a daily basis and he works too quickly without writing down each step. What do I need to do as a teacher to give him the ability to track his thoughts? And I'm taking into consideration his learning style here because I can just say, Johnny, you need to always use a number line when you are doing your math problems or you always need to break apart your numbers by place value. But if that's not a strategy that makes sense to him, he's not going to use it, which means I haven't solved the problem. 
You know, number lines can be time-consuming, but some people like them because they truly show the numbers combining together and really understand the value of each number. But, you know, breaking apart by place value really helps showcase each step, but it's more efficient than a number line, so maybe that would be something that Johnny would gravitate towards. And that doesn't mean I'm going to think of the first solution and it's going to work, but I really want to take his learning style into consideration when trying to help him solve his problem. Think about you as a student. How did you feel when a teacher said, nope, you didn't get it, try again, versus telling you the exact behavior you needed to tweak and then the teacher looking for patterns and gaps daily to keep on track so grades aren't a surprise? I would much rather have a coach as I'm in the middle of a game saying, you know, look over your shoulder or, or have the view of the field in front of you instead of just constantly harping at me like, stop getting the ball taken away from you or run faster. And to me, that's just not helpful feedback. So really having someone being a cheerleader by telling you exactly what area just needs a little attention, it's not that you're a failure and you don't stink at this specific subject or task. There's just something along the way that needs to be a little bit more effective. You really want to have the biography on every kid, not just grades. I mean, look at the patterns, the behaviors, the choices, the strategies, and then create opportunities to showcase repetitive behavior or uncover those inconsistencies. So if I think that Johnny is not doing well in math because he's not showing his work, then I want to give him multiple opportunities to work on that. But I also want to give him those multiple opportunities so I can see if that theory is actually true. I can't just look at one test where he doesn't show his work and say, Johnny doesn't show his work. Like This is why he's failing math. That could be my conclusion, but I need more proof. I need to give him more opportunities to make that choice. And maybe it was a fluke. Maybe it was a bad day. And then I can better figure out how to help solve his problem. You know, the report card should really be qualities of the student, like character traits, instead of just a list of numbers. So I would write the strengths and weaknesses of that student in that subject instead of saying, you got an 82 in social studies. Like, what am I supposed to do with that information? Grades do not show the details or the whole picture. Grades don't transform classrooms, teachers, or students. Student success should not come down to a number. It should come down to the learning experience and the journey of their growth. So make it that way. Create scenarios all day, every day for students to think critically, question their decisions or assumptions, dig deeper, evaluate from different perspectives, go back to their work days later to tweak, lead the discussion, connect the dots from what makes sense to what doesn't, apply feedback on an ongoing basis, strengthening muscle memory and cognitive connections. Please stop giving grades, forget the numbers, put the kids first, by using your magnifying glass and honing in on student behaviors in the academic realm. Solve the mystery. Use your teacher's superpowers. Uncover those gaps or weak areas and report, report, report. Report those out, not in benchmark figures, but in probing questions to guide students to another level of thinking. Students are more than a number and definitely more than a score. They are learning to rely on their acquired knowledge and skill set to operate in the big world out there. The better we prepare them, the more successful they will be. Report cards are not going to be that preparation. 
Think about that coach reviewing practice and, and game tapes. Look beneath the surface and start tackling the problem one created opportunity after another. Students are relying on you to create an atmosphere of learning so that they can leave your classroom better prepared than they were when they came in. All right, elite educators, that is a wrap for this week's podcast on talking about using our teacher powers to see through those numbers, sift through those details to better understand our students so we can provide the instruction they need to be successful. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered. podcast is sponsored by the Educators Podcast Network, a podcast network that encourages you to think about your profession and succeed in the world of education. Whether you're a first-year educator or a seasoned veteran, there is a podcast for you. All of the shows are produced by educators who want to shape education through meaningful discussion and content. So head on over to edupodcast.com network.com for more details. Calling elite educators. Are you in need of feeling empowered by someone who is just like you, who does just what you do and well, just gets it? Then hop on over to alwaysalesson.com to learn more on the blog for tips and tricks of remaining passionate about your current work. Also, Check out our social media links for more personal connection to other elite educators just like you. And if you're a newbie educator, grab a copy of my book, Elementary Education 101, What They Didn't Teach You in College, to ensure you beat the learning curve and end your first year ahead of the game. Alwaysalesson.com provides something for everyone. So elite educators, stop by today and get empowered.